Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Uh Okay, are we doing this? We're doing it. Why not? Let's just get into it. Let's this just is get this is I'm it. channeling the spirit of my wave where she just goes for it. Yeah. You just walk onto a stage and just kill it. Okay. Hello everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Lessons Learned. My name is Mitch, and today I have the privilege of interviewing the most incredible woman I have ever met, my partner in life, and my best friend, Komal Minhas. Welcome to your office. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cute. Oh, it's gonna be so cheesy. I can't even I handle it. He's reading from his laptop, you guys. Don't make fun I of me. thought it was okay, gonna be just serious. like a casual combo, but he's been working on his questions for like two hours. No, I'm just polishing. Just You're polishing. so cute. To, to set the stage, we're yeah. here in Komal's new office in the small town of Carp, just west of Ottawa. For those who haven't seen it. Um, it's a beautiful little 12 by 12 room. The walls are maroon, classic Comal colors with gold trim and paintings. And it's very rich and welcoming and warm. And we have her new fig tree, Fernando. Is that his name? Fernando. Fernando the fig tree. Yeah. We <laughs> bought him from this lovely couple in Toronto. Oh, I have to move closer to the microphone. Just I'm a being little told. bit. Just come closer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a special episode. You're turning 30 in a few days. By the time people listen to this, you'll be 30. Oh my gosh. I'll be turning 30 on Sunday. So this will come out Thursday. So I'll almost be 30. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, we'll go back. I'll, I'll change that. Uh, first question. Will you marry me? Yes. Excellent. Okay. On to the next question. <laughs> I think we're already married, um, <laughs> but I'll marry you every day forever. Oh my God. We're going to drive people insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Real question. I'm going to gush here for a second, but it's a real question. From the moment I saw you, I fell in love. You walked into that house with an energy I had never encountered before, and my entire being was immediately drawn to you. You have an infectious and welcoming energy that immediately makes a person feel at home. When was the first moment in your life that you felt there was something special about your own energy? Wow. That's a big question. <laughs> Guys, I haven't seen the questions just so you know as well. When was the first moment I felt so there was something special about my energy? Yeah. Wow. I stumped her. Yeah, I'm so stumped. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I feel like the first time I realized I could have a special energy was when I was in fourth grade. Mm. And I was failing fourth grade mm. and a teacher intervened. And then my parent, my mom and my brother helped me study for a science test. I share this story on stage sometimes. And um, I went from failing to being the most improved student in the class that year. And I noticed that if I, that was like my first foray into like something I intend and the impact that it could have. So it really was like a first moment for me to be like, oh, wait, like something I do can be 
important and special mm. and have impact. My grades didn't just impact me, but made the people around me even happier. So it was, it reinforced me becoming like a people pleaser in some ways, which I'm still working on. But at the same time, it showed me that I had power beyond myself um, in making something come to life. I like that. Also, I mean, as someone who knows you, I would add to that. Like, it's not just a people pleaser thing because you somehow out of the habit of high achievingness, I think you, you started to see the impact that has when something is like of a very high quality of product or an event or, uh, you know, whatever it's logistics, you're just, you're very, you're very detailed and thorough. So Funnily enough, I knew you were going to tell that story. Did you? Yeah. No. <laughs> I did. I did. Shut up. And so the next question was from a young age. It was oh my clear. God, you're lying. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Oh, okay. Because from a young age, post grade four, you know, you started to step into that really uh, like seeing that power in yourself and you were, you became valedictorian by grade 12. You got the grade 12 physics award. Um, and it could have been, you know, with family pressures or whatever, it could have been very easy for you to step into the world of STEM. What drew you, and I wanted to link this, you know, being your partner, I'm going to draw it, but what drew you to journalism instead of STEM, which you were so good at? Hmm. I, it was so funny because I think being the youngest in my family, there wasn't a ton of pressure on me to be something specific. Mm. So where the narrative for a lot of South Asian young people is their parents wanted them to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. I mean, mom wanted me to be a doc. I mean, a lawyer, not a doctor. She might still want her to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's only when she saw me in a stadium with Michelle Obama that Ma said, anyone can be a lawyer, Komal. <laughs> But not just anyone can do this. I was like, my, it took me 30 years, but here we are. I don't have to be a lawyer. But anyways, going back to then. So I didn't have that pressure on me to necessarily go into STEM. But I had the agency of choice. I was the youngest of five who were raised in our house, my three older cousins, my brother and I. And grades were important. Like I had to do calculus, like you shared. I, I excelled in physics. I became valedictorian it was my my mom's priority was to make sure I was well-rounded in my education so that whatever I chose I knew I was choosing because I had found a way to exceed across the board and then choose based on I guess that interest and passion hmm. and storytelling and speaking were always really natural to me and knowing about people's stories hearing what they have to say and then sharing that forward alongside the social justice, human rights, political science part of my brain, which are the other things that I studied in university, human rights and poli-sci. Um, it all just kind of came together. And when I visited Ottawa, when I came here for a conference in 11th grade or 10th grade, um, someone pointed at Carleton and said, that's the best journalism school in the country. And I said, I'm going to go there. So it, that planted the seed. Now I want to interrupt. Is that before or after there was the photojournalist's book that you got that you you fell in love with? So the Glamour Marion Pearls compilation of stories that I have out on the bookshelf here, isn't it? I well, I, I compiled my bookshelf here um, with books from friends or people I've admired or books that have impacted me, and that one is a big one. 
Um, that actually was in 12th grade going into first mm. year. So that was like the... The seed was planted earlier. Yeah. Interesting. It, totally. I love that. Okay, on to the next question. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. This is going to be like four hours. <laughs> um, this, is an, this is a softball. You've had the privilege of being supported and mentored by many incredible people. What are some of the best lessons you were taught by others and not learned on your own? Mm. The first person who comes to mind is Bouse. So being at Sundance and uh, I will tell this story in an episode one day in the full fullness of it. But I got myself to Sundance when we were producing Dream Girl, the documentary. And I pitched Mindy Kaling from the audience to be the narrator of our film, which spoiler alert did not happen, but it was another (laughs) experience for me. I went to the festival, not knowing anyone. I missed the premiere that I was supposed to go to for, um, the mask you live in, which was about the, uh, like this concept of the mask of masculinity, um, by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, who's now the governor's wife in California and incredible woman, the first, partner is the name she's given her her title um gavin newsom is her husband and she did also misrepresentation so she was someone i really looked up to and i feel so upset at myself that i said the governor's wife because she is an incredible powerhouse but all that to say (laughs) i missed the premiere of that film because my flight got canceled in jackson hole wyoming so i had to rent a van and drive it from jackson hole wyoming to park city utah where sundance was happening and once I landed, got there, or landed my vehicle, when I landed in the city is what I mean, uh, and got there and settled in, I went and saw a panel with Mindy Kaling on it, pitched her, got so excited, my young 24 or 25-year-old self, feeling on top of the world. And then I went to Zoom, which is the restaurant that's owned by Robert Redford, who runs Sundance, Yeah. and sat at the bar by myself. And lo and behold, all the panelists sat next to me at a table. <laughs> Mindy Kaling, Lena Dunham. Um, there was a, a woman from SNL. I can't remember the, the comedian's name right now, but they were all just sitting right there. And then this this man sat next to me who turned out to be Bouse. And his documentary film, How to Change the World, opened the documentary part or was one of the opening night films at Sundance. And we just hit it off and he encouraged me to go and say hello to Mindy again. So I did at the table and I just like reinforced. Yeah. Gave her my card and her assistant as well. Um, And then I came back and Bouse and I just chatted and we didn't have any executive producers for the film yet or advisors on the creative standpoint for the doc. And so Bouse came on and after two, three hours of having dinner together at the bar that night, I learned so much about him, so much about film and the next day we met up and something that he said to me was he had a couple of rules, rules of engagement for how we would work together. And the one that stuck out most is do what you say and say what you do. Mm. <laughs> so what he means meant by that. And he's, he's from, like follow uh, through. yeah, exactly. Follow through. Um, so he sometimes has these interesting colloquialisms because English isn't his first language, but it's, very it's basically like, if you say it, then do it. And be honest about it and follow through and show up and do the work and be filled with integrity. Mm. And so I think with a lot of my mentors or people I look up to, integrity is something that is so important to me as a human. 
Like it's my core, it's the single most important core value in my life. And that's been reinforced by the mentors around me. Mm. But having Bouse kind of see me and see my potential and be willing to go all in with me with that being the only um, rule between us uh, was really powerful for me. Mm. I love that. Bouse is the best. Bouse is the best. All right. Um, this one's personal. You have an incredible ability to call me out on my shit and also <laughs> help me be my best self. What I really mean by that is that you have a unique ability to see where people are at, hold space for them and lift them up. Where do you think this came from? I think it's cause it's what I wanted most in my whole life. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. I always wanted to be seen and I always wanted to be loved and I always wanted to be supported and I always wanted to have everyone be okay with me being myself. Mm. And so because that wasn't necessarily what I got all the time from the people around me growing up and with how intense and chaotic our home was growing up, I think that's why I can give that so easily to people mm. because it's what I wanted most for my whole life. So I know what it feels like to not have, to not feel seen, to not feel, to, to question the love that you get. And so for me, it's comes back to that piece of integrity and like the purity of intention. Mm. It's like, no, like I'm just here to see you, to help elevate oh, you. I just want to hug you. <laughs> and to like help you take it to the next level in the ways that I can. And it's just be, and I think that's still the thing that even though we have such a powerfully incredible relationship and the life I've built around me and the friends I have around me now and the way my relationship is with my family now, the thing I'm seeking most from myself is that validation of myself. Mm. And that's why, you know, I talked about after listening to last week's episode about rituals, I was like, wow, I said, do not abandon yourself like a million times. <laughs> I, I think that might've been a little bit annoying. Note to but, self. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because that's the greatest lesson I have to learn um, for myself. But mm. I'd say that's why it's so easy for me to do that for other people and why I value so much doing that for other people. You're very good at it on mm. behalf of someone who is the recipient of all of that. So gee golly gosh thanks, thanks for being you cutie <laughs> uh, this one's lighter <laughs> <laughs> what are the signs for you when something feels right can you describe whatever those feelings of alignment are and how others might identify them in their own lives hmm. this is really cool because this summer when i was younger i used to like i'd say like early to mid 20s I was really good at just listening to my gut. Mm -hmm. For me, it's my gut. It's like, yeah. I get this. You've been with me a number of times <laughs> when I've got that gut hit. Mitch was with me when I saw the Dream Girl trailer when we were on vacation in Italy. You were with me like... Oh, when... I want to tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> just like over and over and over again, these moments where I would see something, hear something or something would click in my head and it would be like game over like singular focus my whole body is aligned to it i'm like it's like i've downloaded i've downloaded the manual on all the things that need to happen now for x thing to happen mm. but it all comes back to my gut and this summer i was working with a coach tanya geisler who uh focuses on 
breaking down imposter syndrome and our experiences with imposter syndrome. And what I love about her research and her work is it's research-based. And so the intellectual part of my brain that can like get me in trouble sometimes of overthinking. Right. She satisfied that part of my brain alongside like providing the coaching I needed to understand and like break down my own imposter syndrome. Right. We were talking about this concept of imposter syndrome in my life. Um, she, she, she reminded me that sometimes I can go between, I'm very humble when it comes to the things I'm accompl- I've accomplished. I'm not the first person to, you know, shout from the mountaintop of what I've done because being humble is something that my parents always showed me mm-hmm. with their own successes, right. but that can border on the line of diminishment as well. Right. So me kind of tampering down my own success led me to a place where I couldn't listen to the whispers in my life. I couldn't trust my own reactions and responses to the right next steps right because i hadn't been celebrating or been authentic with my own success Mm -hmm. i kept trying to diminish it diminish it diminish it and it was like well then my body and my mind they were disconnected in terms of the signals to listen to so what what we ended up doing this actually was with another coach was she asked me how did you make the best decisions in your life and one of them was deciding when we met like that first moment we met in that house party, which Mitch talked about right on the open, I walked in in a red dress. He was in his blue sweater and we saw each other and beelined for each other in the living room. It was the weirdest phenomenon. Yeah. And then a friend of ours ended up capturing that first moment we met and like, like we'd been talking for like two minutes and somehow someone took a picture and we've been together ever since. (laughs) Like it's insane. It's true. So, so, so for you, those moments of alignment are very loud it's like my like it, gut. It like, comes through your the entirety of your being. It's just like, whoa, like what is, like it's almost like a, I don't even know. I feel like it's Iron Man's power pack, but it's in my gut. And it like lights up when it's like, this is the thing. So this summer, that coach helped me sort through that. So you would say for people experiencing that, listen to it. Well, ask yourself. <laughs> so what I was going to finish saying is when... Um, when she did that exercise with me, she asked me how, like how, tell me about the best decisions you've ever made. And so we went through five or six scenarios that I remembered. She said, how did you know in each of those scenarios? Uh. It was my gut. It was my gut. It was my gut. It was my gut. And then she said, okay, so how are you going to allow yourself to listen to your body in making big decisions in the future? And so it was reminding myself. So the way that you guys can do this, if you're listening is do that same exercise write down like clear your head for a second give yourself a minute to just like ground grab your journal and just write out the best decisions of your life Mm. and then the connecting point between each of those how did you decide those things and where did you feel it in your body and then come back to that as that decision making center for yourself so for me it's my gut if my gut's not in it i'm out i like that i want to go do that exercise (laughs) let's do it together later (laughs) Okay, next question. Uh, We often hear the words, let yourself be seen, tell your story, and other positive affirmations about validating our lived experiences. How do you remind yourself that your life is meant to be shared? (sighs) This is a big one right now. 
What's so annoying about this interview <laughs> is I can't hide. Can't hide, babe. I'm usually very good at like, or in, in instances when I need to protect myself or put up an armor and have like my top, like I'll be willing to go to this place, but Mitch can just see through all of that. And I've had a very like, just. You've had a vulnerable time right vulnerable now. And this is a time. selfish question from my perspective, because I've seen you, you know, navigate so many challenges in your life and you always come back to this really profoundly empowered and like you just said like guttural space of I know what I need to do I need to be with people I need to engage in their lives I need to you know um, conduct this act of active like humanness and storytelling and so I guess to rephrase the question is like in moments like right now how do you get back or um, sort of turn to that truth? I think like to give people context, what right now is, is the last two months have kind of been my like welcome back party and circuit to the life I've always wanted which has been lots of travel, lots of meeting people that I've been admiring online, getting to connect to other folks, speaking at events, locking down and, and being able to interview Michelle Obama, having a massive career high, going back on the road, starting to get tired and exhausted, and then planning to take my birthday month, November, as a quiet work and low key and rest month. And I was talking to a friend of mine today about how the rest can, how we forget that after a big sprint like that, the come down is going to be hard because we're trying to tell ourselves to like be gentle, go slow, like give yourself grace. But when you're coming off of a bullet train, the like the residual impact of stopping, it's going to take some time for those right. vibrations and those reverberations to stop. Yeah, you've got to find your feet. I have to find my feet. <laughs> and right now I'm wobbling. Yeah. I am, my legs are jiggling or jelly because of how fast I was going. Right. And when I look forward, and even in the quiet work, it's quiet because I'm planning for the next sprint next year. Mm. So... I can't help but feel like I should still be sprinting. But this is me trying to bring in the boundaries that I set after getting sick, knowing my limits. And that was this eight weeks of travel and all of that. And now the settling. Mm. So how do I remember that it's important to share my story even in the settling? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because even like, planning podcast episodes is hard right now right and even like feeling like it's a relentless act of believing in yourself it's a relentless act of believing in myself and it's a relentless act of a commitment to vulnerability mm. and but at the same time a commitment to my own boundaries so understanding the difference uh, or like when vulnerability is meant to be a part of my art when teaching is supposed to be the core of the art, when the release of expression is actually helpful to me as a human mm. in creating, or how much of that I'm supposed to be protecting and keeping for myself. 
So it's this constant back and forth. And I think also when we slow down or when we're in one place for a while as, as creators and people who are on the move all the time, we can feel invalidated by the quietness and the beauty of Absolutely. life. So slowing down and being home and being in my office now in CARP and us being in an obscure place in the middle of rural, like <laughs> Ottawa, outside of Ottawa, like I almost feel like I've set up this life to keep humbling myself and to keep reminding myself of my roots of where I came from, but also the constant challenge that it's going to be for my brain to operate at max capacity and my body to operate at max capacity and to try and be and do all the things that I want to be and do in the world. Right. And then coming back to like the essence of life that is community, slow nature, connection, home, routine, stability. It's like, it's like working through the, the challenging experience of feeling like you become irrelevant through pause, getting through that, and then being like, all right. I'm ready again. Well, not necessarily I'm ready again, but also in between there, there's some period of recharge. Mm. You know, And I think we forget that we are supposed to recharge. Yeah. And that's the place that I'm in. I'm forgetting on that I'm supposed to recharge. Well, not necessarily, because my next question is, mm-hmm. as your partner, I have a window into your self-care practices and I have, you know, I've seen the tremendously positive impact they have when you're when you're in those routines. Um, and this sort of builds off the, the last question, but I guess like a lot of people will, will look at your life and, and our... Um, will admire how much you talk about the importance of self-care. So I think a, an important thing for you to share a little bit about might be is like, what are some accessible practices you consider indispensable and why? Fitness. Mm. I have the privilege of being well in my body. I know what it felt like to have vision loss, vertigo, the inability to move consistently every day, to have, to feel to be in recovery from three different surgeries for six to 12 weeks at a time. And so this runway of good health um, and not like, I still have my endo pain once a month when I have to cancel my workouts and be in bed for a couple days at a time. I just had that two days ago, mm-hmm. but today I didn't work out and I can feel the energy in my body <laughs> banging to get out. Right. And sometimes I forget that anxiety is just for me at times, depending on Can the level from. of the anxiety is just bottled up energy in my fucking body. <laughs> and just it being like, can we go out and play? Can we go out and hit right. some balls in volleyball? Yeah. Can you please take me for yeah, a run? Take... Can you please lift something really heavy <laughs> and smash it on the ground? <laughs> yeah. Like it's literally the spirit or energy or like, like we're not meant to be sedentary. And so self-care for me is movement. Another one is meditation. I'm on day three of getting back into my meditation yeah. practice. And today the resistance to sit and like my practice is 20 minutes of breathing exercises and then 20 minutes of mantra meditation. The resistance I had to sit was the reminder of why it is absolutely critical that I sit now Mm. because my mind doesn't want to turn off. It doesn't want to pause. It wants to be in the driver's seat. 
and I'm telling it to sit the F down. Right. <laughs> so movement and meditation are the two biggest. And then after I'm done meditating, I always journal. I just free write in my journal and the deliciousness of that feeling when I see the thickness of the front end of my journal growing because of all the thoughts I've been able to pull <laughs> out of my mind. It's so satisfying. And like, I just started this new journal, uh, like two months ago and I'm almost like probably like a sixth of the way through it. And some, there's something really meaningful about that to me where it's like, it shows me that I'm doing the work of processing and being mindful. 100%. It's something I've intermittently done. And like I, I being your partner, I can validate what she's saying here. So for listeners, uh, people talk about self-care things and how they do it. It works very, very well for Komal. <laughs> when she exercises her, like, like anyone, mindset changes completely. And every morning... Uh, when I have, you know, the opportunity, if I haven't left for work or on a weekend, uh, every morning you meditate and journal, you just like, you come out of that, that little like cave of self-reflection with such a powerful and like authentic energy because you've processed any sort of, um, undirected feeling you might've had in the morning or some thoughts that you were chewing on in the week and didn't have time to sit with. And it's just, it's so cool to see someone come out of that space in any way where they're just like, they're so sure of that moment. Mm. And there's just like, there's a, a pause and a presence that it's just, it, it strips away the, the franticness that comes with um, sort of that inability for so many of us to just stop for, for a second, even two minutes to be with our thoughts. And so to do that for consistently for half an hour is, is always beautiful. Well, thanks for that reminder, my love. I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> do I have time for a few more? Yeah, we All got, right. we got like 15 minutes. Amazing. Okay. Um, this is building off of some of your previous responses, but something I've watched you do really well in recent years is establish boundaries and you know some of the bigger less accessible ones was like we moved to the country <laughs> to give <laughs> us more free time for recovery um but i think something special for other people to hear from you might be is like what are some boundaries you've established and what made you realize a boundary was needed wow mm. I've established a lot of really good boundaries with family members mm. and it comes from a place of growing up in an environment where shouting and aggressive language was the norm. And so a really important boundary I've set in my adult life is it, when an argument starts and people begin to get nasty, just stopping and saying, people don't talk to me like that anymore. Mm. This isn't like, this isn't the type of conversation I'm, I have when it comes to this kind of like dialogue or argument or whatever it is, like when we're cooled down. Creating pause for the, for a moment to calm down. Because the anger needs to be processed and we do this a lot. Like, say we've gotten into, like, a moment of anger or... This is good. This is what people want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> like, when we get at each other, which, you know, happens for couples, 
But never. <laughs> Mitch is very <laughs> proactive about resolving and like the resolution. The Billy Goat. <laughs> yeah, Mitch is an Aries, the Billy Goat. He likes to like Billy Goat me into. Yeah, I'll, an I'll, I'll throw or myself under the bus here. I am the type of person that when I can see my partner or someone is upset or a situation isn't resolved, I will just kind of be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Let's fix it. Let's fix, <laughs> Let's it. fix, Let's fix it. it. How can but I help? What do you need? <laughs> the experience of anger has to be processed. Like sure. It's got to go through your body. You got to go through the emotion. So say someone is arguing with me or upset with me, when the language gets hurtful, mm. I know that what they're doing to me is going to hurt them even more. But also I know that I, that's unacceptable. Right. You don't talk to me like that. Sure. Sure. Nobody talks to me like that. Sure. So I shut it down and I, and I just help redirect the dialogue. And sometimes it doesn't end well. Sometimes it ends with the phone call being cut short and us not talking for a while, but I've set the boundary to say, as an adult, this isn't how I resolve conflict. Mm. I'm not about to get into this with you and shout at each other and call each other names and get into this drama with you. I'm here to have an adult conversation about this if we want to talk about like the real shit we're feeling. Mm. But that's really hard for me too still in a family where I'm the it youngest. Is, and sure. it doesn't happen often anymore. Like I'm very grateful that our family is so thoughtful and caring with each other now. But it wasn't always like that. Yeah. And setting that boundary was super important to me because it also allowed me to do that with friendships and relationships in my life as well. And it was actually the friendships and those relationships and the reorganizing there and the experiences there that gave me the strength to do it with my family. Mm. Because I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life is if you can't do it, like the fa your family is going to trigger the most unhealed parts of ourselves oh, yeah. because uh, a we lot live of... with my dad. So <laughs> this is a daily challenge for me. <laughs> totally. And, In the best way. But it's easier for me because I didn't like, I don't have the tr same triggers that you do with sure. your dad. So he and I can be, you, you know, I speak the language of Papa Joe. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You guys have a beautiful and playful banter, <laughs> which would be so triggering for me, yeah. which serves as such a healthy reminder that my response is completely nonsensical the vast majority of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but we need that perspective, right? So the, sure. the way that I have been able to reestablish healthy boundaries with friendships and, and people external to my family has helped me gain the confidence and courage to do the same with my family. Mm. And that if I'm able to heal things and resolve relationships within my own family, then I think that like for me, that's brought me closer to my greatest healing or for me to know that like, okay, like I'm doing the right things, if that makes sense. I love that. I love that. I, I feel like I could ask a hundred other questions on that, but <laughs> um, I'm going to pivot here because I think this is something for anyone who's followed you or watched you on your journey. This is something that as your partner, who's been able to see you navigate life has always hurt my brain. And I, I still, after 11 years, don't fully understand it. And it's what I call the green light mentality. So uh, anyone who's close to us has heard me joke about how I say Komal's brain is broken because she looks at any problem, situation, goal, objective, and all she sees is green lights, you know, where many of us might stop after the, the third yellow light or what we look at things as barriers. I've always been blown away 
by the way you approach any situation with just this like unfailing belief that you can get the results you want, you know, see uh, Michelle Obama, see manifesting from Zile, the head of UN women. Como was at the UNGA a couple of years ago. She was running late for a session or something. And she was like, I just, I want to run into someone, someone like from Zile. And then two minutes later, like, she's, you know, she's, she's the only person outside of the venue. Exactly. I was literally like going to see her on stage. And I was like, the timing works out that if she's just leaving right after her speaking, she's going to be outside. But when just I this walk up. belief, you can manifest these things, everything from, calling Suzanne West, getting the yeses, like just you, you are not averse to cold calling, to doing things. The rest of us often find incredibly daunting. Can you unpack that for us? How did this green light mentality become such a big part of your being? I'm going to tell you a story about my dad. <laughs> it's a little anecdote, but it's a glimpse into what I grew up seeing. Mm. Um, my dad and my mom went to Florida with some fr or California with some friends uh, for a conference with one of the companies that uh, one of the I think it was with Mazda, like for a sales conference. Um, and on the way back, uh, Papa had. Like they made it all the way through customs, all the way through security. They were on the Canadian side and out of my dad's pocket, he pulls two oranges and he hands one to my mom and one to my aunt and just laughs because what can you not bring across the border from the U.S.? Yeah. Citrus fruits. <laughs> what did Papa decide to do? Because he's a rebel through and through, bring citrus fruits across mm. the border. So this is like a tame example of just like, a no is not a no. This is funny. I've never thought, I'm sorry to interrupt here, yeah. but I've never thought about the fact that this green light mentality just might come slightly from a place of rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> I am the ultimate rebel. Like, oh, wow. The f most, like the example that's top of mind is um, at Marie Forleo's launch event in New York. I had invited a friend or I. This is the one most recently? Yeah, in, okay. in September okay. for her book launch. Um, I had DM'd someone that I wanted to get to know online, Danielle Leslie, who's this incredible right. online entrepreneur. And I offered her a floor seat with me because I had an extra ticket. Yeah. And she was already going with another friend. So she invited our mutual friend, Zim, who is the founder of Travel Noir. So she joined me on the floor. But Danielle and uh, Catalina uh, joined us on the floor just at the beginning because they weren't checking tickets at that time. And then my brain went to, well, I know that there was some resale tickets available. So I'm just going to look at the seat map on Ticketmaster and see what seats haven't sold yet because the event is about to start. And there was two floor seats just down from an aisle from us that were available. And I was like, you guys should just sit there. Like they haven't been sold. They're going to be empty. People haven't been checking tickets. Just sit there. So we did. And then I continued to use that mentality to also get them into the meet and greet. <laughs> and it was just so fun fun for me because I see rules and I think they're meant to be broken um, in the gentlest of ways. Obviously sure. with like I, I, integrity being a main value of mine, it's in instances where the experience can benefit some like someone in a really meaningful way um, without hurting anybody. Absolutely. And I will jump in and, and yeah. add on that. There's been so many times where I will 
from this sort of visceral, like adhering to social convention mentality, say no to something. Or I'll be like, oh, we shouldn't do that. And you'd be like, we're definitely going to do that. There is literally no reason to not do that. <laughs> and then it forces me to sort of like face that feeling where it's like, wow, I was just like, I was he- adhering to a thing that I don't, isn't really a part of how I feel. And I think that that permeates into all parts of my life. Like even with the consistent follow-up with Michelle Obama's team, like Mm -hmm. if you hear no from her chief of staff once, a lot of people would have stopped there, but I heard no six times and then the no turned into a yes. Yeah. And so I think that persistence, that ability to see a system or an experience or the potential of something and to say, what if, right. What if, or how might we, how could we, how could this be different or how could this actually be what I want it to be? And I love that about my brain because it's, it means anything is possible. I love this. It's like, there's never a good enough reason to not. Yeah. So until the universe has given you like a really, like a well-formed no answer, you're going to keep prodding and be like, mm, I don't like that. No. Until my gut a... tells me it's time to stop. Exactly. Exactly. And when my gut does tell me it's time to stop, I back off. Like there's a point when you know you're being annoying too much or you For are, sure. the rule's not worth breaking. Yeah. For example, like taking down the Michelle Obama interview episode. Hmm. I, there's a lot of listeners who got to listen to it. There's a lot who didn't. I wasn't asked to take it down, but I also, and I didn't sign a contract for the event, but because I want to operate at that level, I have to respect the conditions of that level. It's a private event. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to have like be using recording from that further. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, that's me seeing a rule being like, I'm going to try and break it. But I made that episode more for myself than anyone else. So now that I have it, it's for me. And don't worry, guys, I'm going to do a recap episode without the audio. That'll come very (laughs) soon. Stay tuned. But that's an example of like when my gut was like, no, you got to adhere to this rule. Yeah. But I love green lights. You love green lights. Why not let everything be a green light? (laughs) Well, I mean, depends on if it's an intersection or not. (laughs) Jokes. That was a terrible dad joke. Okay. Can can I say Maddie cut that out, but actually just keep it in? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. So we're getting close to the end here. A few more and we'll wrap it up. This question is from your lovely friend, Julie, all the way from Italy. Really? Yeah. I I sought some counsel. (laughs) So nice. I'm going to cry because I'm just so vulnerable. No, no, no. It's it's a good one. Can you name a couple of times in your 20s that maybe felt like lows? but ended up being critical turning points. Oh, I love you, Julie. Um, I think all of it, like there's just <sighs> all, all, all the lows, mm. you know, like all the lows. <laughs> and I think I'm getting emotional because Julie was there for majority of them, as were you. My 20s started out on a real low, like my... Baiji had just died from uh, alcohol poisoning and it turned our world upside down. And I was 19 turning 20, had to forego exams for summer school and thus began like a really serious psychological and like intense experience with going through university while grappling with insane grief. Mm-hmm. 
but that experience was the beginning of my training in resilience and not even the beginning because it's not like my teens were that much easier. There was a lot of loss and grief and pain in that period of my life too. But the twenties started off really painfully, but also very powerfully. And so when I look at these lows of even getting sick and having to leave New York and being diagnosed with cancer and recovering and being sick for almost two and a half years and recovering, um, those lows showed me what I'm capable of, Mm. the resilience that human beings have and my capacity for empathy for everyone around me. And tangibly like those would be the biggest ones is is like diages passing and and getting sick and recovering but i wouldn't change a goddamn thing Mm. it literally made me who i am and has it showed me the way to know how to take care of myself and the people around me right and it forced me to live a lot of life in a really short amount of time And it's allowed me to look at my 30s with a maturity and awareness that without those lows, like I wouldn't be who I am right now. Right. Yeah. Mm. I like that. So maybe it's it's not necessarily that they felt like lows and they were critical turning points. It's that they really were lows and they were critical turning points. And I think that duality is so important for us to talk about more because like even right now, I had the biggest career high of my life a few weeks ago. You sure did. But I feel really low. (laughs) It's the duality, like both and. And I think we have to stop trying to make people think it's one or the other. Right. That's the thing of getting older is like life is complicated and complex. So it's both and. And allowing them both to exist simultaneously and not letting that negate the joy of the high Hmm. or the pain of the low. They Hmm. both can and do exist at once. And that's like the messiness of this beautiful thing we call life. Hmm. Oh, I love you. I love you. (laughs) Um, My next question was very similar to that is sort of. I love you, Julie. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask, as you enter into this new decade, what is a specific lesson you would like to carry with you from your 20s? I think that there's no end to the joy, the pain, struggle, anything until it's the literal end. So I think that we sometimes and it might be human nature it might be out of necessity convince ourselves and we hear this over and over again of like people the way people say it is like happiness is on the other side of this goal or satisfaction's on the other side of this achievement in my brain it's actually just like maybe like easy is on the other side of all of this Mm. but it's actually the ease comes through presence and making sense of things and allowing for those dualities and... to exist and being present. Mm. And so the lesson I want to carry forward into my thirties is to not rush through it all and to let the pain be painful 
and to let the joy be joyful. Because mm-hmm. one day can be a massive high, the next could not. And that's okay. And that's life. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> and so the journey, when I was sick, um, I had, Aaron and I had this lovely evening with John Rotz, who is uh, Jim Carrey's lawyer. And he is a teacher of transcendental meditation. And so we went to this talk with him. Yes, I remember this story. And so we went for pizza after. And he said this to me and I hated it in that moment, but I knew it was important. And that's why he gave me it is like trust in the process of your life unfolding. Oh, that's beautiful. And that has been really on my heart ever since he gifted me that trust in the process of your life unfolding and i think the biggest like if there was a word for my 30s it's trust Mm. you and i were talking about this earlier is like i've given so much of myself to so many other people whether it's through investing in their potential in investing in their ideas in their work in and and financially emotionally like i see the world Mm -hmm. i see people's potential i see who they can become and it's my turn to trust people to see me Mm. and to trust people to invest in me and to trust people to help build me up and that's what i want my 30s to be defined by is trust i want to trust myself and i want to trust the world and the people around me and my audience and my listeners and the people who have been with me, I want, I just want to trust all and of I believe it. that, that, that energy that, you know, that karma will be reflected back to you. Yeah. In whatever way it's meant to be. Yeah. Hmm. Trust in the process of your life unfolding. Trust in the process of your life unfolding. I've got more questions, but. I think we have time for one more. Um. Okay, I like this. Trust in the process of your life unfolding. As a millennial, a person of the internet, social media expert, someone who participates in every single forum and medium, you you know these spaces really, really well. And you see, uh, you know, the threats and opportunities and weaknesses. Um, but you still choose to engage in these. And I think you you know, you still see the value of participating through various social media forums as a force for good. Can you speak to a little bit of why you choose to play in this world? Why you still believe in this, the the power of these spaces to be uh, a driver of something, you know, positive? I believe in them, the platforms that we have the potential to build um, on the platforms that others have built for us to share on. Uh, Because when I was in my darkest moments, it's what gave me light. Mm. So when used, I don't even want to say incorrectly, but it's just like what I said about pain and joy earlier, that the duality, I think... When we think about life, it's always the duality. You know, we hear about for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For 
the level of good and love and joy in the world, there is that much evil, hatred, and darkness in the world. And so the same exists for the platforms that we use to share our stories. Mm. And it just so happens that my gifts and my the things that I do can best be expressed on social media platforms. But it also happens that in my darkest moments, my cell phone and scrolling and the people that I chose to follow brought me light and brought me back to joy and brought me back Absolutely. to my own potential and allowed me isolated in the middle of the country to see the winds of my sisters like Rupi, like Sandy, like, and I was just, you know, Sandy, someone I followed online for a while, but was cheering her on without her even knowing who I was. Same with Deepika and Pyle and all these new friends that I was able to make this fall. They all walked me through the hardest moments of my life without even knowing me or realizing that they were doing that. How much of a gift is that? Absolutely. So to know that there's even a potential that I'm doing that for someone else is astounding to oh. me. I'm so vulnerable right now. <laughs> Lovely. So to know that through me making this podcast or sharing our photos on Instagram and our love with the world and mm. my life with others, um, my questions with others, that someone can be coming out of their own darkness because of it, that's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty freaking cool <laughs> I love how you were like earlier can I swear on the podcast I'm like yeah and now every time I swear he just looks at me like oh you swore I know I know it's funny I'm, I'm sort of going to answer the question I just asked a little bit um, when you asked me to interview you here through that same lens of feeling that there's a tremendous opportunity of like sharing our story and honoring that and and creating um, a conversation that people could sort of see themselves in, but also see like sort of the power of what we've built over the last 11 years as, as partners. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think we both, I think we both just, our, our gut is that there is this power in sharing in authentic storytelling. So as much as, you know, as much as there's the good with the bad, there's so much more good that comes with it. Hmm. And I think, you know, my, my instinct when you said that is we don't, we can't look at the scales and say there's more or less of the good or the, the duality, bad. <laughs> right? Like there's no way for us to quant actually quantify that from a scientific perspective, Sure. but we know what it feels like for us. Mm -hmm. So for example, like we're going to Mexico on the 15th, which I'm super excited about. Whoop, whoop. I'm going to be turning off my phone for that full 10 days because... We'll see. We'll probably share some photos. <laughs> yeah, or I might I jump will. on for a bit yeah. or I'll use Mitch's phone to do it very quickly. But it's allowed to ebb and flow. Yeah. And it can bring so much light to so many. And so that's, yeah, that's what keeps us going. Well, you bring so much light to so many. <sighs> so thank you, Komal, for holding space for my questions uh, it's been a delight interviewing you in your office and I can't wait to celebrate your 30th birthday with you. I love you so much. Thank I love you, you for so doing much. this. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I hope you weren't too much. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to ask myself one last question. Sure. Oh, okay. It was a bit mad. Curveball. Because <laughs> I just feel like there's more on my heart I want to say, but yes, I don't know please. what it is. I'm just going to nestle into my chair here and get yeah, cozy. Nestle in. Actually, can I ask you a question? Of course. Um, I'm messing with my microphone. I hope that doesn't make noise. I think you're okay. Okay. Um, what has it been like watching me grow up this last decade? Oh, man. Hot seat. Um, you have served as the single greatest source of self-belief that I have seen anywhere. Because as much as I see movies and other people's stories, I don't get to engage with that in the same level of fullness that I have with you. And watching you navigate the last decade and you know live that green light life it still comes with its extreme vulnerability challenges you know like just because you see a green light doesn't mean it's easy and so watching you pursue okay all right i'm gonna go all the way back like from from the first from the first few things i saw you do i was astounded um, from SAA, the South Asian dance team at Carleton University. You just put so much love and energy into that. And your commitment was just like astounding to me. And then you uh, became very passionate about the Relay for Life. So it's, it's a Canadian Cancer Society fundraiser. And you took on that huge piece and you just, you constantly push yourself to do something that you believe would be tremendously empowering for you and more frequently tremendously empowering for other people. And often that's through like identifying a gap or a lost opportunity and saying, Oh my God, like I would kick myself if as the person who identified that gap, I didn't try and fill it. Mm -hmm. And so you did that with relay. You saw the opportunity with dream girl. Um, you were like, wow, this looks so incredible. I see that this person, you know, is looking for support in, in this beautiful journey. And you had that guttural thing and you just threw yourself at it. And every time you've done that, I've internalized that in so many ways in my own life to say, okay, let's be honest with what it is that we want for ourselves. Let's be honest with um, the challenges, you know, the ambitions am i listening to what i can do for other people and so i think you've helped me push myself every year more and more just by watching you live your life to um live a more empowered life myself hmm. that's so nice and you're so nice <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was a long answer it wasn't at all. I was going to gush. This could become two hours of me just telling stories about how much I think you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. What do you hope for me in my 30s? Mm. More of the same. I love this. I love watching you live your life. Um, I think something I would love to see. Well, no, I, I don't have wishes because they're just going to manifest. This is what you do. <laughs> really, though, like I don't I don't need to hope for it. I don't even need to ruminate on it. You just manifest things that are meant to be. So what I expect, ah! <laughs> my, my guess is that over the next few years, your, your journey is going to include a lot more people. 
a lot more um, beautiful stories will be told through the the various endeavors you choose to pursue. And I think every time you do that, you know, you create opportunities for us all to, to, I don't know, see ourselves in other people's stories and just like be more human. Hmm. So I think this next decade is going to be like, um, a beautiful world tour of being present in this moment of our lives. And what for you, my husband, you are going to turn 32 in April. 32, 32 going on 12. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a lesson you wish you would have known going into your thirties? A lesson I wish I would have known. I would consider myself pretty risk averse. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of force you to be opposite. Oh my God. Do you ever? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't like to fail. So I think I would, if I were speaking to a younger version of myself, I would encourage myself to approach failure with a much more playful energy Mm. because it's never, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Right. Even if you just, if you just shit the bed, (laughs) if you just failed so hard trying to do that thing, you always come out triumphant in some form. And you know, it's a beautiful exercise. So it's a, it's a healthy reminder for me now, you know, as a, as a young adult to, to, take myself a little less seriously. That's something, especially in a government environment. I work in a, a somewhat stuffy government department where often people take themselves too seriously and it gets in the way of so much, so much newness, you know, quality of work, um, and just like general happiness. So just returning to that, you know, that, that playful billy goat root. <laughs> <laughs> I do, like, I was talking to a friend of mine about it today, but that the rest and like the down moments coming back to our playfulness. Mm. And that's something that you've always helped me with is playing and, and being in a state of play. And I so, so, so appreciate that. Um, and so I hope my thirties are filled with trust, playfulness, duality, growth. And I don't know. I'm just so excited for this next chapter, but at the same time, like wildly vulnerable about it. I just, I just need to take a little picture Mitch of Mitch is taking my picture right now. I'm sure it'll be in my stories on Thursday. Double sweater. These $20 headphones. <laughs> Check it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode of Lessons Learned. It's true. I'm turning 30 on November 10th. Woohoo! And I couldn't think of a better way to do this, dive into this next decade than to have the love of my life ask me some very meaningful, apparently very vulnerable, emotional, wonderful questions. So thank you guys for tuning in. I love you so much. Love you. The next time you hear from me, I'm going to be 30, 30, flirty and thriving. And yes, I already watched 13 going on 30 when Scorpio season started. Oh God. And I made Mitch watch it too. It's not bad. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L 
L-E-S-S-O-N-S-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-E-A-R-N-E-D-L-